Hey, York Alliance. Uh, it's so good to see you, although not really see you. You're able to see me. I'm not able to see you, uh, but good to be with you. If I haven't met you yet, my name is Brian. I'm one of the pastors at York Alliance, and I'm typically the one who would be speaking the word or speaking out of the word uh, to you most weeks. However, uh, this week is a little bit different, and so you get me by video just for a very short period of time before we transition to Pastor Jonas as he will speak to us from the word. And the reason I want to do that is because I'm not there this morning because of a specific reason that ties into the series that we're in. And so I'll explain that in just a minute. But if you've been with us the last couple of weeks, we've been on this journey through our vision statement, uh, the vision statement that we adopted last year at the end of the year. And so we just have called this Vision 2022 or a reminder, kind of a recentering to what our vision is. And so if you've been with us, you know that our kind of overall mission and motto is that all, we're called to be, to take all of Jesus for the whole person to the whole world. That um, that's, that's what's kind of out in front of us that drives everything that we do. Our vision then is the how of that. So that's the, that's the what, that's all the way down at the end. Uh, the, the how is kind of laid out in our vision statement. And our vision statement that we've been looking at over the last couple of weeks is very simply, we pursue the transformational love of Jesus and seek to build communities that share this love with all people. I'm going to say it again. You can even say it with me if you remember it. We pursue the transformational love of Jesus and seek to build communities that share this love with all people. Um, I wish I was there to hear the mm, 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 as you try to remember. You're, you're getting there, I'm sure. It's starting to sink into our memory. And so the last couple of weeks, we looked at those first two phrases. We pursue uh, that idea of intentionality, that, that we, uh, we are called to be intentional in our pursuit of Jesus. We looked at 2 Peter chapter 1 and his call to make every effort as we uh, pursue after Jesus. What we said together is we want York Alliance to be a place where it's hard to just call yourself a Christian, but not pursue whole life discipleship with Jesus. We want this to be a place where over and over again, we're being called into whole life discipleship. We believe that's what it means to be an apprentice of Jesus, which is what it means to be a Christian. And so if we're going to be calling ourselves Christians, we want to be people who more and more have lives that look like Jesus. And we need to make every effort to be intentional in that process. But then last week, we looked at the other side of that. The transformational love of Jesus isn't just our effort. In fact, it's not even primarily our effort, but Jesus himself does the work. So we talked about the image of a catcher coming behind home plate, receiving the pitch from the pitcher. And the catcher isn't doing a lot of work. He's just kind of positioning himself. She's just positioning herself there. And then receiving the pitch from the pitcher. Uh, and the pitcher is the one who's doing all the work. We receive that transformational love. Uh, and that's what we're called to do. But this week, we're going to shift gears into a third section, which is really um, the, the first two parts we pursue in the transformational love of Jesus. They're about who we're called to be, what it looks like for us to be the church. The second part is about what we're called to do with that. So um, th this is how we cultivate our own lives. We pursue the transformational love of Jesus both individually and more importantly, within the context of the community that we're called into, the family that's the church. But then we are called as his people who are pursuing the transformational love of Jesus to build communities that share this love with all people. And so that's what we're going to dig into today, that idea of what it means for us to build communities. And the reason we're passionate about building communities is that we believe that community is always, without exception, 
the context where we pursue the transformational love of Jesus. That we need a community of people from the smallest to the largest to be the space where we're able to pursue the transformational love of Jesus. So that can happen at the smallest level. So you know, um, at your clients, we talk about discipleship partners. Discipleship partners are groups of two to three same gender people who are committed to at least a couple times a month meeting together as a place where we can be totally honest with one another, where we can pursue Jesus together. And we want to see those communities grow and multiply. So maybe that means stepping out of one community and into another one. Or maybe that means your community grows from two to three to four, and then you become two, and those communities grow from there. But what we want are are contexts for all of us to have a place to truly be known. And then at the community group level, we want to see community groups from uh, smaller community groups from five to 12 to larger community groups from 10 to 30 be places where um, we can pursue together the transformational love of Jesus. And so that means taking, if you remember that intentional formation model that we looked at, that means taking specific teaching in the context of community and engaging it through practice. And so uh, we really want those places to, those community groups to be places that are um, kind of like workshops where we can take these practices and we can, uh, we can do them with one another and we can engage in the process with one another, debrief with one another, if you will, and grow together towards Jesus as he continues to work in us. And so that's at the community group level. But then as we get even larger, we get to social circles that are uh, larger than community groups and even a church, uh, a, a local church like York Alliance, a context where we can have that pursuit of Jesus nurtured, where can, we can receive the kind of teaching that we need to be the raw material where we can uh, grow into communities, smaller communities and larger communities. And so we believe that we're called to not just be the church locally here at York Alliance, but to be involved in planting churches all around the region so that the, the, there are more and more contexts in which people can pursue the, the transformational love of Jesus. And so uh, we know that that happens at a place like York Alliance, um, where you are, wherever you're living. But um, if you're coming from a long way away, it can be difficult for this to be the context where the transformational love of Jesus is nurtured and, and pursued. And so we want to be a part of planting churches in other places, as well as recognizing that there's power in even networking those churches together and partnering with people both here in the York area, as well as all around the world. So we have partnerships with churches in places like El Salvador and Macedonia and uh, Palestine and Israel. We have, we have, we have places where in Germany where, where there's incredible things that God's doing and they're a part of the way that we're working. So when we get uh, when we have an opportunity to connect with people like Stephen Lay Straw in Gabon in Central Africa, we see that as extending the community that God has given us to build. And so it's a beautiful part of the way that God has uh, put the body of Christ together. And that brings me to why I'm here on video with you today instead of in person. So as a leadership team, we have been praying for years, uh, maybe a decade or maybe even more, about the Hanover area. We really believe that God has called us to be a part of building communities specifically in the Hanover area. And so we've talked about church planting there. We've talked about church partnership there. Uh, in a few weeks, you'll meet a, a man named Nate Conklin. Nate is the pastor of Spring Grove Alliance Church, and we've prayed with Nate. He's also had a passion to see a, 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 the church emerge and really strengthen in Hanover. 
Well, over the last several months, a really, really long story, long and complex story made very short. Uh, I, I have an opportunity to uh, begin a partnership with us uh, for uh, with a church in Hanover, a church that is uh, already operating there and is, all, is already seeking after Jesus. It's a place that is pursuing the transformational love of Jesus. And uh, they've asked me to come down and be a part of their worship gathering to, uh, today to bring the word to them and then be a part of just uh, dreaming together with them. What's it look like for us to pursue Jesus together? And so we're going to do that. We're going to look at what it looks like for us to seek to build communities that share this love with all people, with the people of Hanover, uh, with the people of Spring Grove, with the people of Shrewsbury, with the people of uh, all over. I can just start to name one after another, Wrightsville and Dover and East Berlin and Dallastown and Red Lion, all these places around York County. We want to be places, we want to have opportunities to connect in deep and meaningful ways with people who are pursuing the transformational love of Jesus there so we can build up communities that share this love with all people. And so for us, that's going to look like church planting at times. It's going to look like church partnership at times. It's going to look like us working together with other churches and nonprofits, like-minded individuals, like House of Hope that you just uh, heard from, as we together experience, as we, as we dig into the transformational love of Jesus. And so today, uh, I'm so thrilled that you'll get to hear Pastor Jonas speak from Jeremiah chapter 29. It's such a great space to look at what it means for us to be the church in the world around us. And so I just want to pray over Jonas and pray over you uh, as uh, you engage the word. And I would ask you to pray for me as I bring the word to our brothers and sisters in Hanover and seek what God has for our connection together there. And so, Jesus, uh, thank you for your word. Thank you for your truth. Thank you for uh, the way that you have planted that truth in our hearts in a way that has grown up and borne fruit, uh, fruit of dreams and visions and passions and opportunities, opportunities like we have today to connect with brothers and sisters in Hanover. And so uh, would you continue to go before us? I pray for Pastor Jonas as he brings the word that you would give him all that he needs, anoint him by your spirit to speak what is true and uh, help him to rest in you and help us, all of us who are hearing his words, to allow those words deep into our hearts that you would change us. And so guide him and guide us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Any blessings to you? I'm looking forward to being back with you next week. Amen. How's that for an introduction? <laughs> You know, it is so exciting to see uh, how God is at work in and through his body here at York Alliance. Um, as Pastor Brian shared, we're in week three uh, of our series designed to help us understand and even engage um, the vision that we believe God has called us to here at York Alliance. And so it's exciting. Um, I won't make you say it with me. Um, no need to mumble, but I will say it for you one more time. We pursue the transformational love of Jesus and seek to build communities that share his love with all people. And this week, we're going to focus primarily on the building communities piece. Um, Brian explained the big picture of how the DNA of, of uh, building communities has, has to start, start first with us personally and locally right here through like um, discipleship partners and community groups and whole church gatherings and outreach events and things. It's where, our, you know, where we come together in the different levels. Um, and then it moves on to other communities, cities, and even around the world. 
And I'm not going to spend uh, time on all of that because he addressed it and he's going to continue to address it on the podcast. How many of you know that he has a daily podcast? You guys know? Hey, how many of you have actually listened to it at least once? Wow. All right. Second service is winning. All right. Um, either that or first service was too tired to answer. So um, he does do a podcast and I want to encourage you um, uh, if you, go to the web, if you go to our website, yorkalliance.org, you can find the info, or if you're on the Community Connection, you get info from that. Um, we would love to share with you how to get into that. It's, if you know to you, go to your regular podcast. I think Spotify, Apple Podcasts, a lot of different ones. Um, just type in York Alliance Church and you can find it. But he has a, a daily devotional podcast, and then there's also one that's for the Sunday sermons. But I want to encourage you, his dailies. He breaks down what he preaches during the, on Sunday. He just goes so much farther with it throughout the week. And it really helps you to apply and kind of just dig in. And so I want to encourage you in that. Um, all right, enough of the shameless plug for his podcast. Um, he owes me. Besides, the really neat thing about it is he's fun up here. But if you ever listen to it, he has this like creamy podcast voice. He's like, good morning, York Alliance. You know, I'm like, he, he says he doesn't, but listen, he does. It's really fun to tease him. Um, anyway, um, what we're going to focus on is the heart of building communities. Um, uh, our text for this morning from Jeremiah 29, 5-7 gives us instruction on how we're to go about building communities that seek to share, the love with all, share his love with all people. And before I read this text, I want to give you a little bit of background, a little context into this situation. Um, in 597 B.C., Okay, a long time ago. Nebuchadnezzar's Babylonian army attacked Jerusalem. The invaders took the king prisoner, plundered the temple, and carried off 10,000 captives to spend the rest of their lives in a foreign land along with Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, his buddies. Right? Okay? Anybody heard of the fiery furnace? Okay, that's a story, Old Testament. Read the book of Daniel, you'll love it. Um, Daniel and Lion's Den. These guys were carried away earlier in an earlier invasion but now here we are later on and this happens again but the Babylonian army comes and attacks and and takes 10,000 well three months later following a 600 mile journey past the Arabian desert these Jewish captives enter Babylon the large and most magnificent city magnificent city in in the uh, ancient world its walls were so thick now hear this just imagine for a minute that you're coming up on this. You've been going for three months hiking towards Babylon. You know it's great. You've heard about it. And you get there and its walls, the walls of this city, are so thick that four chariots can race side by side on the top. Okay? That's, that's like highway. You know what I mean? That's like big, you know? It's like a big street around the top. That's thick walls, okay? Um, it, it, was, it was crazy, but... Um, uh, along with that, there were 365 guard towers and a moat that was fed by the Euphrates River, and, and that made the city seemingly impregnable. I mean, it was, wow, this was incredible. But here they are, entering through the Ishtar Gate. These Jewish captives were led down Processional Street. They're flanked by light blue ceramic brick walls displaying 120 large white enameled lions with manes of yellow and red. That street led to Nebuchadnezzar's palace and the Temple of Marduk, which stood taller than the pyramids. On what some scholars believe was the ancient site of the Tower of Babel. 
So, I mean, we're talking about, wow, you know, this is quite a moment. They've been taken away from their, their home. They're here. They're in exile. They're in this place. But Babylon was a cultural and architectural wonder. But in the 6th century B.C., it definitely was no place for a devout Jew. It was foreign, idolatrous, and the capital of the pagan empire, which had plundered Jerusalem and take them, taken them captive. I wonder how, it would, how we would feel if we were standing in the shoes of those exiles, those ancient Israelites. What do you think God would have told us to do if we had been his people who had to live in a society that worshipped everything but him? Well, they had false prophets who told them what to do and who wrongly assured them that they would soon be going home. So some of the exiles tried to withdraw from society, isolate themselves, avoiding contact with the pagan Babylonians around them. But guess what? That's not what God told them to do. In fact, Jeremiah 29, 5-7, we find instructions about what he tells them to do. And listen to this from verses 5-7. to How many of you read Jeremiah 29, 11-12? For I know the plans I have for you, right? You've probably read it on plaques and it's all over the place. Great passage, okay? Great passage. How many of you have ever backed up to 5-7? to A few. Okay, this is an incredible passage for how we're called to live, how we're called to build community right where we are. But listen to this. This is what, this is what, uh, what God told them through the prophet Jeremiah. He said, now remember, they're in exile in Babylon, away from home, surrounded by everything that's not like what they're used to. Everyone's worshiping something that's not God. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. So here's a large group of Israelites a long way from home, in a society that doesn't believe in their God, wondering what they were going to do. Does this sound familiar? If not, it should. Let me walk us through it, all right? Because this might as well be us. 1 Peter 2.11 tells us that as believers, we too are exiles in this world. In Philippians 3.20, Paul says we are citizens of heaven. All right? In John 15, Jesus said his followers are not of this world because we now belong to, as followers of Christ, we belong to a kingdom that is now but not yet. We don't, we're aliens and foreigners in this place. We we live here, but we're not from here. And, And there's tension. There's tension. And since these instructions were true for God's exiles in Babylon, it would seem they're very appropriate for Christian exiles in this very Babylon-like world. So then what are we to do? I would tell you the first thing we see is to settle as the sent. To settle as the sent. What do I mean by that? Well, the Israelites were taken captive by the Babylonians. However, we can't neglect that God said it was he that sent them into exile. 
And while it's different for us because we've actually been set free and made heirs of his kingdom under the new covenant, made in Christ's blood, we are currently living in what seems very exile-like. We long for our home in heaven. I want to tell you, I remember when I was young and I used to think after I became a Christian, I would hear older people say, man, I just can't wait. I'd be like, what? There's so much life and there's so many, oh, wow, you know, because earth is a great playground, amen? I mean, God loves us. He gave us taste buds. Take a minute. Lunch is coming. You know, I mean, what an incredible world we live in and God, wow. And, and I remember thinking, I just, I, I was a Christian. And I was like, I just, I just, Lord, don't come back until I marry Beth. And then it was, don't come back until we have kids. Don't come back until they grow up. Now I have a little granddaughter. Don't grow up until she grows, you know. No, you know what? Jesus, come back when you want, because you're gonna, you know. And, and, and yet, we're called to live a certain way while we're in exile right here. Because we're waiting for our home, our one-day home. But we're in a now home. What does he tell us to do? Tells us to build homes, plant gardens, have families. He tells us to, to lock in, to be there, to, to live it out. You know, um, here we are waiting for his return, right? Yet we aren't supposed to wait around looking at the sky for Jesus to come back. And we're not supposed to isolate ourselves and hide the light of Christ uh, that has been placed within us. Jesus himself instructed us to go and make disciples of all nations. It seems that we were called to live as those who are sent, not those who are stuck. In other words, we're to live as missionaries wherever we are. We're to settle as the sent. Let me give you an example. Um, I'll try and make it quick, but, you know, and this isn't about vocational ministry. This is just about living for God. And I remember, um, because it didn't matter if it was times when I worked in the hospital or ran an after-school program or as a pastor, God has been telling us what to do along the way, and we've been trying our best to listen and do what he wants. And um, when we went to, when we were called out to Aurora, Colorado to be the youth pastor, we went out there, and um, we interviewed, and we went through all this stuff, and and uh, when the church finally said, you know, they said, hey, we, the pastor was telling me we'd really like you to be our youth pastor. And I said, okay, cool. We really feel like that's what God wants. And he says, but we need a five-year commitment. I said, uh, okay, why? And he said, well, we've been through a lot of transition and a lot of, you know, different youth pastors and different things. And we need you to be here for at least five years. They just need the stability. And I said, okay. And Beth and I prayed and I gave him the same answer I could have in that moment. And I said, No. And he said, what? And I said, look, we'll live like we're going to be here forever. But if God says we're supposed to leave tomorrow, we got to follow him. Like, I, I can't sign something to you and then have to break that or ignore God. I'm not going to do that. I said, but I promise we'll lock in. We'll build our home. I mean, we didn't build one, but we bought one and or the bank did. And and uh and, you know, but we got a house and, 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 you know, we locked in, we made our home there, right? For 18 years. But every day, every week, every year, Beth and I constantly were praying, God, is it still here? Are we supposed to be here? There were times 
during those 18 years that we were like, God, can we please go somewhere else? And, and God said, no, this is, I have you exactly where I want you to be. That's how we need to be living. It isn't about finding the next job that pays me a little bit more money. It isn't about, not that that's wrong. I'm not saying, please hear me. But it's really not about you. It's all about him and where he's sending you. And he'll care for you. I, I, I've, there have been many times where we were called by God to, to take an opportunity that was going to pay us less. And we'd go, how in the world? And he'd go, do I care for you? Have you ever gone hungry? <laughs> I'm just saying, you know? I mean, yes. It's been tight sometimes, but God always cares for us. The key is, are we living stuck or are we living sent? And, and so I'm getting, I'm digressing. I'm going to get back on track here. How do we settle as the sent? Well, we build homes and live in them. Well, is that saying every one of us has to build a home? Well, let's take, let's take the timeless principle that's there, and that is what? Make your home. Like, you may not be able to build one. I mean, but can you get a home? Can you rent or buy a home? Can you... Can you find a place to lock in and say, you're going to be here. I'm part of this neighborhood. I'm part of this community. I'm here. I'm among you. And get to know your neighbors. Let them know that you're there. You know, that's, that's really what it's about. I mean, I, I, I tell you, you know, you read this part about plant gardens and eat from them. Anybody garden here? Well, a few of you admit it. All right. My wife does. I grow weeds really well. Now, careful, I, I grow weeds with an S. Okay. Um, I am from Colorado, you got to clarify. Um, <clears throat> but is it saying that we all have to plant gardens now? No, what it's saying is, you know what, this is what you do to move in. So for us, you know, like we have Lidl, it's right by us. And so, you know, do I go to Lidl? I do. I can be all about me a lot of days. And I got something on my mind. I want that frozen rising crust pizza and I am on my way, right? Or I can go into the store and I can be sent by God to plant my garden. I walk through the produce area. The other day I noticed something. Some people are very intriguing. If you go to the grocery store and you watch people, okay? Not to judge. But I do watch people I like to. It, when I'm paying attention, when I realize I'm sent and I'm looking for opportunity, to just bump into somebody, you know? Hey, how you doing? You look at people, you make eye contact, you smile, it blows people's minds. They don't know what to do with that, you know? But, but I was sitting in the, or I was not sitting, I didn't actually sit in the produce area, but I was looking. <laughs> that, that would be weird. Um, but I'm in the produce area and I watch this one lady and she's over here opening containers of grapes and taking one and I was like, and then finally, she took one, ate it, and I saw the smile, and she closed it and took that box. And I was like, that's genius. Probably a little wrong, but it was genius. Because you know how many times have you gone, they look great, and you get home, and they're the worst grapes you ever had, you know? But, but anyway, I go, I said to her, I said, did you just try those to find the best one? She goes, yeah. And I said, that's genius. And she was like, it's kind of weird, huh? I said, well, I mean... It works. And I said, it, you know, I, I might start applying that. And, and so anyway, it just opened the door for conversation. I planted a garden. I'm growing crops. The neighbor's planting a garden and growing crops. And we're out there and we're talking. 
You know, you have to do what you do in this day and age. I don't really have a garden that I'm going to do that with, but I do go to the store and I do meet people. How many times do you go to the checkout and the person that's checking you out is just the person making you angry because they're going too slow? They're real people with real lives. And God loves them. And those of you that are cashiers are going, amen. You know, um, No, but it's real. We build homes and live in them. We plant gardens and eat from them. We get married. We raise families. We, we make our home there. We're not stuck. We're sent. How many times have we lived in such a way that we say, God, how much long do I, I just, oh, I'm stuck in this job, I'm stuck in this house, I'm stuck, in, I'm stuck, I'm stuck, and I have to do this, and I have to, no, you know what? You woke up with life and breath, you get to. We, we do, and it's, it, it's amazing if we stop and ask God for his heart and mindset, how much it will transform the way we look at life. And I'm not just preaching at you all. I'm, trust me, this week I was in it with God. He was all over me. And, um, and it's important because we get busy. And we usually let the things slide that are the most important. And we get really self-focused. And then we get miserable. And we wonder why. Well, we're called to live as sent, to settle as the sent. I mean, he says, in other words, don't live in isolation, just waiting for Jesus to return. Return, do what Jesus did. Remember, he stepped out of heaven and came into our neighborhood. He became one of us. So where God has put you, embrace it. Stop hating it. I'm not saying you have to go, oh, I love everything about, no. You know what I mean? Sometimes life can be miserable. There are parts of it that just, bleh, you know? Like, I hate rainy days, but you know what? When the sun comes out, that rain is going to make something else beautiful. We need it. So you just kind of got to walk through it. You take what you get, and you turn to God. And He helps your focus. But we become part of the community that people, we become such a part of the community that people can see the light of Christ and be drawn out of the darkness. That's what it's about. So often, I think we Christians look for the church to put together outreach opportunities, right? We say, you need to reach out to people and say, well, you should have like an outreach event and I'll come. I'll bring a friend maybe. Nothing wrong with outreach, okay? Nothing wrong with corporate outreach. But I want to tell you, York Alliance, our vision for sharing the love of Jesus with others happens most effectively through each of us building community right where God planted us in your home, in your job, at your school. He put you there. Settle as the scent. If we live like we believe that we are sent by God, we will reprioritize our lives in such a way that loving people the way he does will become our default. I ran across this quote by Dietrich Bonhoeffer this week, and it just hit me. He said, Your life as a Christian should make non-believers question their disbelief in God. Hear that again. Your life as a Christian should make non-believers question their disbelief in God. If I live like I'm stuck, do you think that's going to happen? But if I live like I'm sent, being propelled, propelled by the transformational love of Jesus. Wow! I'm bubbling over on everybody I come around. On the bad days, they at least say, I have, see, I have hope. 
We have a huge difference in our lives. I, I remember I spent a lot of years, a lot of years without Jesus. And I remember at night before I would go to sleep, I was the loneliest person I knew. And I had no hope that it would change when I woke up. And it stunk. It was bad. And I remember meeting Jesus. And man, life's been perfect since. No. I still live in this world. I'm still in exile. However, you know what? When I go to sleep at night, even when it's been a bad day, I have hope. Because Jesus is with me. And we can offer that to a world that doesn't know it. Our home should become places where neighbors know they will find love and care in a world that is often just the opposite. We are called to give people a glimpse or taste of God's love. And that brings us to the second piece of this instruction. And that is we are to seek the shalom. We're to seek the shalom of the city. We're, we're to... He said, seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. God's shalom, his peace, something stronger than the peace we can even imagine. God's reign and rule to seek his welfare for a city that's so counter him. Wow. So I have a question for you. And I want to tell you that this section I'm about to go into, God and I, whew, it was a week because he gave me a little heart check this week. Do you have a heart for the city of York? And I don't mean the buildings. I mean the people. Do you have a heart for the city of York? And it might be easier if I said, do you have a heart for the county of York? And by all means, we should have a heart for the county, the whole county, the whole state, the whole world. But do you have a heart for the city of York? Maybe you don't live in the city, but guess what? You're sitting in the city right now. And I'm going to tell you that I think God wants you to love your neighborhood where you are, but as part of this city, we need to be praying for the welfare of this city. God loves the people of this city. Have we allowed God to develop in us a heart and love for the city of York? Now, I know social media isn't a great gauge for anything, okay? But it can get really ugly. It's amazing, like, whether it's Facebook or, or next-door neighborhood, you know, where everyone's supposed to be neighborly. And I just feel like so many times somebody makes some comment about something that happened in the city and then it's like on. And Beth says, why do you read those comments? It just makes you so frustrated. And I'm like, it does. But I get sucked in because my heart's breaking. Because people are just so, ugh, about it. And I'm like, oh, God, how do we, you know, and have we allowed God to develop in us a heart or love for the city of York? I mean, what about our conversations about the city? There are three main responses that I generally run into in those conversations, whether in real or in virtual, um, and that is you have the sad sack person who is all about fear or sorrow or disgust of what they see in the city, and you just hear the complaining. You have the salesman, 
who's trying to tell you about, have you seen what's new and how great it's going in downtowns? Da, 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 da. And it's like, oh, oh, okay, you know, I, I, I mean, I, these things you said over here that the sad person says, you know, some of that, and the sales, yeah, yeah, I mean, you might call that gentrification. We can talk about that another week. Um, and then there's the silent. No words, just staying in my lane. I don't, I don't really know. I just do my thing. You know, but, but what if, and I know some of you are already living like this. You already take this approach. But what if we realistically acknowledge the issues? Because there are issues in our city. But we seek the welfare of the city. Like I said, as I prepared, um, I had a real reality check with God. And I'm thinking, you know, I pray for the city, Lord. And he said, yeah, you do. But how do you pray? I said, well, start thinking through what I pray for. You know, I pray for the peace of the city. And I pray that violence would stop. And I pray that people would be fed. And I pray that. And he says, okay, those are all, those are all good things. He says, again, how do you pray for the city? I'm like, what? And all of a sudden it dawns on me. He's like, what's your heart attitude behind your prayer? Am I praying like someone's stuck? Or am I praying like someone's sent? Am I seeing with my eyes or God's eyes? Am I seeing the potential? Or am I seeing the problems? Am I looking towards what he wants to do or what's not being done? Am I praying with his heart for the welfare of the city? Am I seeking to see changes take place that will simply make my life better or make me feel safer? Or am I praying for the people who have yet to know his love the way that I have been fortunate enough to experience? Am I seeking the transformation of the city because I'm stuck here in exile? or because I'm sent here to share the love of Jesus with others. And since I had to answer those hard questions, I thought I'd share my experience with you. You're welcome. It was rough. Sometimes you want to sit down and write a sermon, and you're typing all these nice things, and God says, really? Let's talk. Guess what? As we begin to pray with the right heart and mindset, we'll begin to put feet to our prayer. As we pray to the Lord on behalf of the city, we will be engaged, even activated, to seek the welfare of the city in tangible ways. And guess where God wants us to start? By building community right where you live. It's got to start right at your house, right at your home, your apartment, your trailer, your van, wherever you live. You know, it, It's got to start there. It's, it's got to. Because as we allow God to develop his heart in us for our neighbors, it won't stop there. We'll begin to see with a much bigger and better lens. A vision for sharing God's love will reach to the ends of the earth. But it has to start right where we are. We have to stop living like we're stuck and start living like we're sent. And then we'll seek the shalom. We'll, we'll ask for something that God can only bring. 
And it won't be about, God, fix the violence problems. It'll be, no, God, transform this city to a place where your name is praised, where people know the love of Jesus. When, when someone says, wow, a Christian, oh, I know Christians. And they don't say it in a derogatory way. Where they're drawn to the light. Let's build homes and plant gardens and raise families. As we allow God to develop his heart in us for our neighbors. Oh, wow. Mm. But it's got to start right where we are sent. And that's why we seek to build community and communities that share his love with all people. Let's pray and then we'll move towards communion. Lord Jesus, thank you um, thank you for hard lessons and for good reminders. As we've been learning, God, may we pursue, may we be willing to put effort into what you call us to. Lord, may we recognize that the transformation that has to come is the one that we receive from you. Lord, for some of us in this room, we're struggling even with the want to. And so, Lord, we pray, Lord, make me want to, want to change. For some, we just need filled again so we can get back out there. For some, we need a little course correction to remember, God, wow, that you love this city. <laughs> you love people, all people. And Lord, we're going to talk about that next week, but God, may it start even now. Lord, may, may this grow from our home. May we build homes and plant gardens and, and then raise families, God. May we know our neighbors and love them in such a way that they don't just know we're, Jesus, we're, we're Christians by the Jesus stickers on our cars, but God, because we love them well. May it impact our schools and our jobs. Lord, help us to live not as we're stuck, but as we're sent. And may our homes be filled with people looking to find you. And may we be in their homes. God, I'm just seeing something beautiful. And um, I pray you'd put that vision in all of our minds and hearts for what you want to do. And may we say,